Hello, and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most charmed and ritualistic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about uh, the 1.Z Lost for Words interlude, as well as Stolen Away 2.1 and the bonus thing, which is like notes on all the suspects and stuff. Yeah, I think it was called Interview Notes Number 1. Yes. Uh, which actually led me to notice a bunch of the other extra material bits are called like blah, 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 number one. Mm. So Wobbo's leaving himself room to like revisit some of these could concepts later, which yeah. could be really fun. Yeah, more notes on practices, more notes on others, etc. Yeah, like if you think about where 2.1 leads off, you know, maybe the, the interview notes at the end of Arc 2 will feature like the fairy or something. Yeah, or Wink or whoever. Um, yeah. So let's begin with 1.Z, shall we? I mean, are we allowed to just skip it? It's too sad to talk about. <laughs> Can we say that and just jump straight to 2.1? I, I mean, this is... Like, we can't skip it. It's such a good chapter. It's so fucked up. I yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it, I guess. So it begins with Gabriel sitting at his desk, looking at a website, and from the very first sentence, we as the audience know exactly how fucked he is. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah. Right this, from the get go, it's like, yeah. okay, it's Gabriel again, who was already targeted by this thing. Yeah. Like, the the Kennedys were heading out to meet the hungry choir. Like, you yeah. just you you know you know. Yeah. It's so oh God. It's so bad. It's like if the whole chapter is this vibe of just watching Gabriel's life slide down in this spiral, and then you get this tiny bit of hope that. Maybe you'll survive at least one more night, and then even that is ripped from your clutches like a piece of meat from a stomach. <laughs> yeah, I think right from the get-go, this already started to feel like a tragedy to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think this chapter kind of has fun for the first half with, like, offering Gabriel a bunch of opportunities to, to like, get out and not yeah, commit. Yeah, he, like, he has a he bunch has of outs name. that he does not take. Yeah, he has his name typed out from the beginning and it's it's like, you know, not till a third of the way through the chapter that he actually hits enter. And so like, the, the whole time we're basically, the, the first third of the chapter is us sitting on this precipice of like watching it and I, I, I was so torn because on the one hand I was like, no, Gabe, don't do it. You have so much to live for. Like, look at what you have to live for. And then, you know, obviously the part of me that is, is like a reader was like, do it, like, you know, I would, oh, have, been so, I would have been so pissed Elliot. if he hadn't done it because, yeah, but imagine the chapter where he doesn't. It would have been a great chapter. He would have had some <laughs> just, beignets, messaged Peyton, and then gone to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we want from this story. Speak for yourself, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, so, I, like, I, and I think, like, that's. That's a real horror movie feeling. No, yeah, like, it totally the, is. When I'm watching a horror movie, I'm constantly torn by like the you know, no, don't split up when you go into the big scary house. And then there's that other part of me who's watching, is like, do it, like fucking do it. You know, I want to see some crazy shit in this movie. Yeah, um, and that's that's 100 what was happening um, for this this first third of the chapter. Yeah, um, it reminds me of like. Uh, I reckon we should reintroduce this joke now that we came up with fairly early on in Deep Impact um, based on uh, a Jay Maniac video in, in large part um, mm. where we used to joke that, like, we as audience were equivalents to the spirits yeah. in, in Pale. Yeah. So there's this, you know, this sort of idea of because the spirits love theatrics so much. 
and, and we're kind of the same, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Was like, as a spirit, I was like, go on, Gabriel. Yeah, and let's name. see it. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll wanna, I want to see what this ritual is all about. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It is. You're right. It's like a horror movie. It's like a train wreck. You know, you just can't, like, while Bo knows it's going to go badly, everyone knows it's going to go badly. Even <laughs> Gabe kind of knows it's going to go badly. Um, and we just can't, like, it. It just once he presses that button, once he clicks his mouse, you know, a little bit, it's just watching the slide. Yeah, and even then, even then, there's still these glimmers of hope that just get snuffed out. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I think it's interesting that this chapter opens with Gabriel kind of struggling to talk about or to realize whether this is real or not, which is interesting because we, as yeah. the audience, obviously know that what he's about to experience is real. And so it kind of begs the question of why Wabo opens the chapter with Gabriel kind of struggling with this. And I think the answer, or at least the answer I've come to, is that it's grounding the character and grounding this chapter in this interlude in, like, this character having a very mundane moment of, like, researching and not quite believing what's going on so that when we get to the, you know, the fantastical, horrifying, disgusting things later in the chapter, they land a lot more viscerally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sort of resets the ground level of where our expectations are a bit. Yeah. By by sort of reminding us what a normal person should be expecting out of this whole whole thing. Um I, I and I always just kind of find it fun to watch like how, you know, a muggle in, in this world tries to like rationalize until they can't, like away all the, the magic in this world. Mm. Um when dramatic irony feels like the wrong word for it because it's not it's not quite that but it's like you know this special type of horror where you know we're now sitting here like okay we know this is going to be awful um and we're watching gabe sort of do that whole arts oh, you know it's probably not real again it's another like horror movie trope where they're like oh you know that couldn't really be a monster and as a viewer you're, you're like yes it can yes it can <laughs> and mm. um and then you sort of watch them get like you know destroyed for not making a leap that no sane person would make. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I don't want to talk <laughs> like this chapter, <laughs> like this is one of those chapters where I really didn't like rereading it because it's so tragic and I will get to some of these specific parts later, but you're just watching a character who has some interesting things in their life, but, and like some good things in their life as well, but one or two things that are obviously quite bad for them, their social situation, their situation at school, obviously not healthy relationships. Um, uh, and it's just that becomes the focal point of that, of this part of their life. And then that causes their death. And it's just like, there's no, it's just, it's just tragic. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. This is one of those conversations we're having that makes me feel like a bad person because the second time through this, I think I enjoyed it even more. Oh, you're um, a monster. <laughs> How did you say that? It's been a while since we've had this discussion. Um, Yeah, I, like, I think something else I want to bring up before we start to move on uh, to, to Gabriel's relationships that you were just touching on. Um, mm. We sort of touched on this whole idea of like magic and technology very briefly. Um, and I just wanted to bring that up again because there's this whole thing where like the website's source code doesn't relate at all to what's yeah. like on the screen. 
and maybe it's because I work with that stuff at, at, at my job sometimes. So like that was like one of the things that has <laughs> like gotten me the most. <laughs> really in this world. stuck like, with you, yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, oh yeah, sure. Like the hungry choir opens pocket dimensions or whatever. But like the idea that you've got source code that doesn't actually sh- resemble what's pictured on the thing was just like no, no, that that doesn't make any sense. It's like it, uh, it's amazing how it can still just sort of hit you how magical this is like you know yeah. there are no rules to magic in in that sense yeah magic can break things like source code that are these like bastions of i don't know like logic i guess yeah yeah i yeah i think that's a perfect term for it like it, it's all logical and very very structured very yeah, yeah. exactly but and, magic and breaks so, that rule yeah the magic completely throws that out the window and i think that was like just another really important example for me of don't treat the magic in this like it's gonna have to follow the rules of physics or yeah. even math yeah interesting um so gabe uh talks to this girl who he has a crush on peyton who's uh who's one of his friends and he's you know trying to uh set up a date with her and having no luck yeah, this Peyton conversation is a real roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, it, and that's one of the, one of the things I really like about Pale so far is how well it can portray, you know, very common like high school type things. Like this is classic high school. Like this boy has a crush on this girl that doesn't seem to feel the same way, so he signs up for a ritualistic murder singing feast death party. Like we've all seen the stories a hundred times. Oh uh, yeah, um, I mean, most of us have been there, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. Like, Wobbo's done such a good job in this story of just capturing fucking like, awkward teenage yes. relationship mangling. It's um, yeah. It's it's that's the hard part to read, in my opinion. Is <laughs> yeah. going back to that and just oh you know, yeah, no, relating it to your own awful experiences as a teenager. Um, there's this bit where Peyton says messages him and says. I got on to play a game before bed, so I got to go play a game or else, you know, my dad's going to cut me off midway through the game or whatever. And it very clearly felt to me like Peyton's kind of being like, oh, you know, I could spend more time talking to you, but you're not that interesting, so I'm going to go do something else. It's just <laughs> like, he's like, he's really not getting any points here with her. Yeah, I mean, this is right after the whole bit where he's like, hey, you want to do something just you and me? And she's like, oh, sure. And he's like, tonight? She's like, no, it's too late. And that's your bit where you're like, no, God damn it, he had an out. Mm. And then he's like, okay, tomorrow night. And she's like, no, night after, no, the night after, no. And she's got like a different excuse for each. And you, at this point, I'm just saying, I'm like, oh, dude, take the hint. Yeah, God, <laughs> like, it's rough, isn't it? Yeah. And, and at the same time, though, like I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, Gabe, take the hint. She's not, she's not keen. But also, I'm like, Peyton, please do it or he's going to join this stupid fucking ritual. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it was great. Like I, I, I always love being conflicted on stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. He definitely, I mean, he, he, he does have a few moments in this, like touching on the whole, not quite getting the hint thing. There's definitely a few like nice guy TM moments, Gabe. Yeah. Touches on having in, in this. Uh, there's a bit with a, you know, her social media photos a bit later that was like, okay, um, we're doing this now. So like, I, I think it's interesting that Gabe's not set up as just a purely sympathetic character. Like he was someone for me that I was like, I kind of got what was happening to him and falling into this ritual is just like, you know, 
part of the result of that along with these other things it's just like it just kind of makes it all the more tragic watching someone who's already kind of heading down in a bit of a downward spiral just like you know take an extra big plunge (laughs) yeah it is sad and there's these like very human moments that really make you feel for Gabe even though there are other things that are like I mean I don't know I mean you're right there's a bit of a nice guy vibe but also he is 13 so it's kind of like you know, what are you going to expect from a 13-year-old boy? You're not, like, there's no nuance to a 13-year-old, right? More more of a proto-nice guy. Like, he was maybe heading in that direction a bit more or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it was like, you know, like he, he's just, you know, yeah, as you said, he's a 13-year-old. He's just a bit of a mess because that's what 13-year-olds are like. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, And, like, he's just, yeah. I mean, like, because part of it, you know, he obviously got that zero uh score like lucy god yeah and Um, the bit where he's thinking about like how he had that little bit of hope where he was like you know i'm an actor i'm fit enough and i was like yeah you know what if i were you i would have expected to get more than zero but that's life you know (laughs) yeah yeah well and so the, the, the last sort of bit here is he he brings up that like he was homeschooled until high school which just sort of linked him to Avery a bit in, in my head because she, she obviously had a very similar experience. And, um, like, I don't know, we see, obviously, Avery's taking this whole thing pretty hard next chapter, and I'm wondering if, like, a bit of it for her is a, like, this could have been me moment because, obviously, mm. um, I, you know, if she wasn't in the situation she's in now, I think she could have been a particularly vulnerable person to something like this maybe uh, not <laughs> specifically the hungry choir but i would even say that even with the situation she's yes, in now she's still particularly that, vulnerable to things like that, this that might be the exact situation she's in right now that's yeah. very fair um especially because you know we often walk um at these interludes as sort of capping off the arc thematically and there's a lot of ways they'll tie into it so, yes like it's hard not to look at some of what's happening to gabe here as like oh is this a bit of, is this meant to be drawing parallels to what the candidates have just signed up for yeah i mean the uh the kind of isolation that gabe feels very much mirrors the isolation that avery has felt in the past at the very least um we have this interaction between gabe and his mum, and again it's fucking tragic like <laughs> he clearly has a good heart he's got like i don't know about you elliot but when i was 13 years old i definitely didn't have goals to the extent that Gabe has that he's like actively working towards trying to uh trying to you know be the person that he wants to be and yes some of it is fueled by some possibly toxic body image issues or not even possibly toxic i would say but he's still very driven and like clearly he's got a lot going on and this just sucks you know yeah well it's so interesting because even as a 13-year-old, he's kind of someone who's going through a bit of a, like, I've already peaked phase. Yeah. Because he, he was in this movie as a kid. Then he's become that person who's, like, going to lots of auditions and getting the we'll call you things, and then it's not going forward. He's yeah. starting to go through puberty, which is obviously, like, fucking with his body, um, which, you know, if, he, if he's an actor is obviously, you know, a huge part of like that. Yeah. So he, he reflects on that explicitly talking about how he's not in the, you know, he's not in the, uh, Home Alone 1 or 2 Macaulay Culkin phase. He's in the post Home Alone Macaulay Culkin phase yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it, you know, it's that sort of thing that I think everyone goes to at some point in their life to some degree that like, 
sense of like you know we hit a bit of a directionless point or whatever or you can't do what you used to and suddenly you're like oh my life is over and well well, you know he's just particularly vulnerable uh to you know getting sucked into something like the hungry choir um i particularly found the bit there's a bit where he's like oh food is the enemy now like no matter what i kind of put on weight blah 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 and he's sort of thinking this as he's like shoving pastry into his mouth which is you know totally something my internal narrator has had to deal with (laughs) Um, relatable yeah so like it's just yeah this is definitely one of the sections and he's yeah his relationship with his mom is so like she's she seems great so you're just saying you're like gabe don't don't do it yeah yeah it's um it's rough and the the thing to me that this kind of reinforced this part of the chapter more than anything else is this is like a phase of gabe's life where he's struggling with a few things and it's so clearly like so clearly he has the tools and the willpower and the love of his family to mean that once he's able to get through these difficult periods, he will be in a much better position, right? Like this is not a story about a person who has nothing left in his life. This is a story about a person who's in a rough patch and turns to the wrong thing. Yeah. He's not as isolated and doomed as he seems to think he is, but he's a 13 year old. So he's not Yeah, getting that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Gabe kind of continues to prepare for this without really knowing whether it's real or not. And uh, finally makes the decision to submit his name and things from there go downhill very quickly. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I've sort of already talked about how this this chapter reminds me a lot of a horror movie. Um, and this is where, you know, the horror movie really starts. This is where the monsters start to appear. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on this bit where Peyton sends a message to Gabe, but he doesn't look at it until after he's submitted his name. And... Um, you know, it's all jumbled up and so we can't read it. Um, and it makes me wonder if Wabo has actually written out whatever this message was. I mean, it was, it seemed short. So it was probably something just like, oh, night before she went to bed. Yeah. But I'm kind of like, if Gabe had looked at this message before he clicked the thing, would he still be alive? And the not knowing the answer to that question really hurts. Yeah, like it, it, even it could have been one of those things where like that little message of like, oh, good night, see you tomorrow or something like would have just been enough for him to think oh i shouldn't risk my life tonight like gotta see Peyton tomorrow um yeah and and, you know we'll never know because that message along with gabe's whole identity has been erased i I guess i'm jumping ahead a little bit into the next chapter spoilers um i mean this whole concept of just being completely erased is so it's such an extra layer of horrifying like the ritual doesn't kill you it makes everyone forget get you completely uh, yeah we'll get to that elliot don't worry there's okay, a specific okay. section in 2.1 that i want to pull that out and yeah, talk about I, for. I, I think i know which one you mean um so yeah i i guess yeah okay never mind i'll, I'll bring this up okay sure um so yeah uh gabe clicks the button and you know stuff starts happening and immediately gabe makes a mistake like he makes a noise and well obviously just signing up was a mistake but he makes a a mistake immediately after joining the ritual where he makes a noise and a big chunk is bit out of his elbow and almost immediately it's just like gabe like this is so not a thing you should be doing obviously like what is going on why are you doing this you are so fucked yeah but i think once he submitted his name it was like that's it's a done deal at that point uh, yeah can't get out Yes, I, of I think, course. It's yeah, but you're right. Like you know, five minutes in, if that took two minutes in, uh, he gets bitten on the bone, uh, which made me shudder just saying that. Yeah, um, so he's bitten through his what shirt, through his through whatever padding he has, 
into his elbow, through his skin, through his muscle, to his bone. That is some oh. sharp bite. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then we get, you know, we get this immediate, this is the thing about this, is it, this chapter is both viscerally horrifying, but also, like, ethereal horror, because we also have Gabe's, like, photo folder, which loses all its faces, as does everyone in his house, as does all the photos in his house. Like, there's this very, like, spooky horror, followed by this very in-your-face horror of um, of being bitten. And, yeah, it's just, like, it, it's horror on all levels. Yeah, you're right. It's all the different kinds. Uh, it, yeah, this shit goes, like, Coraline very quickly. Mm. Should we talk about the idea that there seems to be some interesting connection with faces for the Hungry Choir? And I don't know what, yeah. the, what the read is. I'm curious to hear what you think. But mine is kind of... The Hungry Choir sees mouths as, you know, like mouths are the focal point for the Hungry Choir, be it eating or singing. And yeah, so the only yeah. purpose of people's faces is to be a container for a mouth. And so why not just like <laughs> replace people's faces with one big mouth? Because that's the important part. Right. I don't know. I, I see faces as something very linked to like identity and personality. Like they're mm. how they're, they're where you sort of show your expressions mm. and, and they're the, the way we mostly like identify who's who. Like, yeah. you know, obviously there's things like fingerprints and um, body language and stuff. But like, I think for the most part, like the face is such an important part of who you are and how you share that with the world. Yeah. And like, you know, these, these big lumbering witnesses are just like, a whole they're, they're like just a mouth so they've sort of had all their selves sort of stripped out of them yes um, they're now just mindless singing slash eating drones. yeah it feels like they're the like hungry choir consumed versions of those people because they're now just the mouth which as you said is like the only part the hungry choir really cares about mm. um in fact like talking about like the witnesses because you know we've got witnesses we've got waifs there, there's yeah. all the other stuff like you know, there's enough law here. Like, I could see a series of movies. Like, you know, even look at it, there's like paranormal activity is like a whole series of movies that has like less law in it than this single part, th- this single ritual that's a small part of like yeah. a massive world. Yeah. Like, uh, just just as a side note, I think it's so cool that the Hungry Choir has so much law about it, and there's there's so much to learn here, and it's a side project to like, it, like this isn't actually meant to be our main case we're trying the story is meant to be about the carmine beast yeah. but um there's so the hungry choir is so interesting that we're just like stepping into it but it's not the main point i think that's so cool yeah you're right that i think this is something that's probably going to hold true and be the fact that you know any of the others in canon could carry a franchise of films <laughs> Yeah, basically yeah. i don't know what the point of that statement is but it's definitely true <laughs> yeah well it's just the rich- richness of the world that wabo's building that like it's as you know there's as much to play with here in in every single one of his characters as there is in entire other franchises yeah um like that's it's so impressive um but back to the the witnesses the, the face people mm. um so they're, they're, they're Peyton's mum and dad. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, it's Gabe's mum and dad. Gabriel's mum and dad, yeah. And then later on at the actual ritual, it's like all the townsfolk who would be around there. It's like witness versions of them. Yes. And that just, that feels like something we should be worried about, right? Like just with the knowledge that the Hungry Choir is apparently tied to all these ghost towns. Mm. And now we find out that, you know, like it's clearly opening some sort of pocket dimension or whatever the magical term for that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so like these could just be like you know you're drawing inspiration from the real world or something but like the fact that it is these people and that's specifically yeah. to, brought to our attention a couple of times makes me worried that the hungry choir is drawing something out of kennet when it uses it as a place to host it yeah um, it's interesting which i don't know exactly what that means but like it's not good no, yeah, I, I do agree. Like, it seems like we've talked about the idea of connections being a major part of how magic kind of operates in some circumstances. And it seems like the way the Hungry Cryer is doing this is using connections that the, you know, the participants have um, and using that, drawing on that to, like, help power itself, which presumably means there's some downside to the, you know, parents and, and I mean, obviously Gabriel's parents have a downside of their child is getting murdered here, but... You know, a downside of like some power being drawn out of them or something similar. Well, I mean, that, like that's the thing. Actually, is um, Gabriel's gone, right? Like, I think uh, I think the Kennedys even discuss it in two point one. They're like, do his parents even remember yes. that they have a kid? Yes. So it's like we've got these connections between things. Like, what happened to that connection between Gabriel and his parents? Like, is that is the hungry choir eating that or like? What? Yeah, and like, what happened to you know? I mean, I, we don't know exactly how this works, but presumably having someone be erased that leaves a gap. Like it leaves a what about yeah. all the love that you know Gabriel's mother had for Gabriel? What 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 does that energy funnel into? You know? Yeah. Well. It, yeah. I mean, and you know, making everyone forget would you think would be an expensive exercise? Mm. So yeah, like like. There's so much more to talk about here, both in terms of the witnesses and the aftermath, and like, yeah, I, I can't wait to yeah. This the end of two point one definitely sets up that you know we're going to go a bit head to head against the uh, the hungry choir, and I can't wait. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so yes, Gabriel is dragged out, kicking and not screaming, uh, to the site of the ritual, and he manages to make it there without breaking the rules anymore, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, like there's this. There's this bit where he he's going through his kitchen on the way out mm. and he sees like a screwdriver and he picks it up and this this waif comes at him and it's like going to attack him and he puts it together in his head. He's like, oh, this is too much like a knife. And so he just kind of hands it to the waif and the waif just sort of peacefully takes it. Like there's that real sense of, okay, you're following the rules. Like we're cool. Yeah. We're cool. And it gives you this sense of hope where you're like, okay, you just follow the rules <laughs> and everything's fine. And yeah. look at Gabe, he's learnt. He he realized what he was doing. He made wrong. a mistake. He fixed it in yeah. time. Yeah. Like this is doable. Like that, that that was what I took out of that moment. I was like, okay, this is doable, which is you know obviously fucking wrong. Yeah. And I, I will get there because this whole thing is completely stacked against you. But I love this as a moment of like, okay, yeah, I can see a situation where this is doable, and that's totally what like the ritual tricks you in. With. Oh yeah, it wants you to think that it's doable, right? Like it wants you to have this reaction that Gabe has of like. I can do this. I've made a mistake, but that's okay. You're allowed to make mistakes and still be okay. I'm, I'm totally going to do it. Yeah. And, and like, you know, you can see how when you're reading the websites about what the ritual entails, you could trick yourself into believing that it's more doable because it's just like, oh, there's just like, you know, this list of 10 rules. I can follow 10 rules. Mm. You know, like, oh, I just, I just have to sing the song. Oh, that's fine. Like, you know. And then you actually think, well, what would it be like to try and sing this song and eat, you know, raw bull meat when the bull is still trying to kill you? And then when you really think about that, you're like, well, I can't do that. But yes. I can see how you wouldn't make that part of the step while you're just reading it. Yeah. Especially while you're being enticed by the prize, which we'll yeah. get to. Right. Like, 
I can sing, sure. And sing and eat, okay, but I don't have to sing every line. Like, I'm sure I can do it. Oh, and I just have to kind of avoid this bull and, and rip out a bit of flesh. Like, in isolation, each of them is like, okay, it's a challenge, but it's one that I can overcome. But when you put it together yeah. and then say, oh, yeah, and do it eight times, it's like, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, just, just to backtrack a bit. Like, I've, I just sort of had this, this thought. Um, So you know talking about the hungry choir drawing from everyone in the region like i'm mm. going back to that whole thing like if, yeah. if these copies are sort of being pulled from them or, or pulled from the area or whatever um it, i'm still symbolically tying the hungry choir to my idea of loving these singing competitions and i wonder if that's maybe <laughs> the avenue of like you know some of the power it's able to draw out of people um like you know there's sort of the the love for these stupid reality show competitions is part of what fuels the hungry choir and so that's why it's like using that energy to make the clones of people mm. i i don't i don't know like i, I especially just because miss miss picked avery first i'm, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on for the second half of sure. this point um miss picked avery first and avery's whole thing is she hates the singing shows <laughs> So, <laughs> so that was an intentional choice to set her up against okay. the hungry choir. Yeah, because hear me out, right? So, Miss picks Avery, the the anti singing talent show person, yeah. who will clearly hate the hungry choir and everything it stands for. Yeah. not just the murdering, but the singing. Mm. Then the Kennedys are awakened. What th- three, four days before there's a ritual in town that they can go and visit, and then. Like the hungry choir has been set up as one of these things where you know it's a candidate to take the Carmine spot, and, and nobody really wants it to. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I don't know. Like, uh, is it a coincidence? I could, I yeah. could see this being. You know, are the Kennedys being specifically set up to take the hungry choir out of the picture for good or for bad? Mm. Like, I mean, there could be a good reason. Like, if Miss did make this all aligned, so the first thing they did was get rid of the hungry choir and then do good stuff, I'd be like. Yeah, I mean, I see that. I see the logic there. Yeah, a piece of shit. Mrs. said she's particularly vulnerable to it, so there's a motive there. Like, yeah, maybe we're the- watching another murder take place. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna set the Kennedys up to kill someone, this is probably the one I could get behind. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, it doesn't have to tie into the greater mystery. This could just be a separate mystery. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, you're right. It could be. Um, also, again, like people keep mentioning how the Hungry Choir might be tied to the Carmine Beast. There's a whole bunch of moon imagery as Gabe starts to get uh, brought to the actual site of the ritual, which is probably worth mentioning. I don't mm. know what to do with it yet, but it's like, you know, just now whenever the moon's mentioned, I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, it's popped up a lot, hasn't it? We Obviously, the, the prologue featured moon the moon pretty heavily, and it's the same here. Yeah, I'm, now I'm sitting here. I should have looked this up by now. We're a whole arc in, but, like, does the moon have any specific, like, warrior imagery? Because it was tied to the Carmine Beast in the prologue. It's tied a lot to the Hungry Choir here. Mm. Like, I wonder if... The, does the moon just have violence imagery associated with it and it's just a coincidence because they're both violent things or is this meant to be an actual hint towards something more? Yeah. I don't know if there's... I can't think of any specific moon violence imagery that I've heard of. I mean, me, me either, but you never... No. You never know. You're right. Okay, so next up, Gabe meets the other folks who are going to be here uh, helping him, assisting him on his team during the ritual, uh, one of whom is a screaming woman who seems like she's going to be absolutely no help because she is so badly injured. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? 
um, like this, this girl is such a cautionary tale for <laughs> Gabe because she's dragged in. She gets even more fucked up because they're basically dragging her in on her stomach and she can't walk. So they're just like hurting her as yep. they drag her in. She she's so completely fucked and. Gabe is almost like, oh shit, I better go help her. And he goes to help her and gets the thing from um Wink or, or Reagan um to sort of be like, no, don't, like, we we have to leave some people behind. And Gabe has this moment of, it seemed so reasonable to leave people behind on the internet, but now I'm having to do it and it's actually not okay. Who would have thought? Um, yeah, it's it's again, it's just this the setting up. It's like this is gonna be such a clusterfuck. Yeah. I'd be so annoyed if I was Gabe, because you know, this is like it's classic. Like, this is why I only play ranked Hungry, hungry Choir. Because you get scrubs on your team like the Footless Woman who will just tank your MMR. <laughs> yeah, well, especially and when you play in unranked like this, nobody has their voice chat on. Mm-hmm. So you can't yeah. even communicate properly. No teamwork. No teamwork. Um, so true. But yeah, uh, to, to go back to Reagan or, or Wink as we're calling her, um, there's this bit that Gabe mentions where he's like, "Oh, I've seen her around school. Yeah, she always wears sun. She always wears sunglasses, and she's still wearing them now." And we learn next chapter that Reagan has always had issues with her missing eye, and that was why she was so willing to give it up. Yeah, but also, like, if she didn't wear sunglasses, maybe Gabe remember. Like, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought this was maybe one of those things where. Gabe wouldn't know because if she lost her eye and so she started wearing sunglasses all the time, it would have been like rewritten, presumably, that she always wears sunglasses. Um, like how Gabe has his identity erased. So it's like the whole birthmark or birth defect thing. Yeah. It's so like, I wonder if, if she didn't used to wear sunglasses that often and now it's become like part of what everyone thinks of her. Oh, yeah. The, almost certainly, I would say. Um, like we know that that the hungry choir rewrites history so i feel like this is almost certainly part of that yeah which is like a fun little piece of horror <laughs> yeah um god it's just like the longer this chapter goes on the more and more it seems like there's no way right <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah the the participants continue their preparations and they're joined by four strange figures Three girls in animal masks and one beefcake with a gun. <laughs> I hope I hope we get to see John again soon because, like, what do you reckon his opinion of all this was? Because, like, you know, the the Kennedys sort of step in and we see Lucy throw the dog tags down. Like, like we know what's happening. Gabe's just like, oh, she threw something on the ground. Now there's a guy with a gun, and we're obviously like, oh, okay, John's here. And you could just imagine like John's, you know, sitting in his house eating weed playing call of duty and, yeah. and, and and then he gets he gets like summoned in so he just suddenly appears behind lucy with like you know and he's all kitted out he's he's ready to go and he just sees he's in in the middle of the hungry choir and like there may not have even been anything outside of the choir's a normal mo to like set this off so you can just imagine john being spawned and like you know was he like oh yeah fuck yeah let's do a fight or like did he get spawned and he's like he's he fucking serious like why Okay, I guess we're fighting now. Uh, I mean, as soon as he arrives, like, waifs try to swarm him and take his gun. So I feel like he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, the waifs are so reactive to our protags coming in here that there's just no way that it wasn't going to turn into a fight. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's so cool the way the waifs have these rules and they try to uh, apply these rules to the Kenneteers, but the Kenneteers are more equipped to get around them. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I'd just be very interested to hear John's opinion on what, his involvement this night because yeah, it whether it was like justified. Just yeah, <laughs> I mean, the their plan was to just observe, right? Yeah, which and, was never going to happen. Right, and it becomes immediately obvious that that's just not going to happen. Like, they don't even, <laughs> there's not even a moment where they're just observing. Like, as soon as it starts, they're like, oh, shit, like, we need to step in here. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, it's also really fun seeing the Kenneteers through Gabe's eyes. Like, he doesn't yeah. even comment on the fact that they're 13. They must seem so intimidating that he doesn't even, like... Seem. I mean, he. I, I get the sense he sees that they're short or whatever, but he doesn't kind of notice that they are like that. They seem young or anything like that. He just kind of sees them as these imposing animal mask figures. Yes. Yeah. Like what I love is how it kind of recontextualizes. Like we've had all these things like Verona's eyes flash purple. Um, the the Kennedys themselves have had moments where they've glimpsed each other or themselves with their animal masks as their like actual yeah like faces with the sight, and that seems to be what's happening in this pocket dimension thing as well. Um, then you know fucking all their runes are in effect. So uh, Verona's got her invisibility cloak. Yeah. Uh, Lucy has her like smoke machine. Like they just it's like all these little things that from their perspective have been like oh, our eyes can change colours and we get, you know, mask faces sometimes. Like, that's odd or creepy or whatever. And then from the external perspective, we see it from Gavin. It's like, they're fucking badass Yeah, now. totally. Like, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Um, I, I love the, uh, the backpack smoke machine as well, by the way, which I think that was one of the ones that you briefly mentioned, but I don't think it was I- one of the top contenders for what that backpack was. No, I think I think we briefly mentioned it and almost immediately dismissed it as as incorrect. So that shows how how much of a handle we've got on the rune system. Yeah. Ah, fair enough. Um, yeah. But um, oh, so actually, oh, like just just to sort of tie into that, mm. like I think it was so cool again to have the inventories right before this interlude because we sort of you know just just before this interlude we get like okay here's all their gear. Yeah. And that makes it even easier for us to appreciate all of it when we see it from Gabe's perspective, because they've mm. been like accruing shit all arc. So yeah. it was like, uh, you know, not only did we just need a bit of a refresh on everything they had, but not being in their perspective, like there would have been even less a way to keep track of what they're meant to have. So it's kind of cool to like, you know, the moment they show up, you're instantly because of that bonus yeah. material, you're like, okay, you I know, know exactly what they, what they have. have on them. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're seeing all this shit, like the the smoke machine, and you're like, yes, well, okay, that is, you know, the backpack thing. Okay, like it's it's cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I want to touch on these waifs because the way they interact with our protagonists here, it just feels so mindless. Which to me, kind of like, I'm I'm thinking about this murder mystery angle of like who killed the Carmine Beast, and obviously whoever did that needs to have some level of plotting behind it and it just feels like the hungry choir are too like it barely even feels like they're sentient right yeah like like i definitely agree like especially in this ritual it kind of feels like you know like like avery does all this crazy shit with um like a blade cape and then the second she dismisses the blade cape thing they all just like go back to ignoring her so it's like it feels more like a machine than a yeah intelligence exactly but then also i mean we'll get to 2.1 but obviously the hungry choir seems pissed yeah they pull a prank on her that's pretty good actually that's pretty good evidence that they do have some higher level of intelligence yeah like like, so i'm I'm trying to 
I, I'm trying to make sure I'm not thinking of intelligence as like a, you know, just a scale, a linear scale between rock and human. Yeah. Like th- there's probably bits bits of emotionality and intelligence that the hungry choir has but not all so like there's some there's some level of intelligence there because it has the memory to be pissed off at them for last night but yeah then there's also all these other ways where it doesn't seem as free form as a regular human so yes um i guess we'll see it definitely seems to operate following a strict set of rules and presumably there isn't a rule in the ritual for murder the carmine beast (laughs) <laughs> Carmine Beast entered its name on a website <laughs> and accidentally said a few too many words. <laughs> That'd be a fucking twist and a half. Carmine Beast, Carmine Beast just died in the ritual. Well, it didn't want to have to worry about having to find a ton of food. Do you know how much your groceries cost when you're that big, Elliot? It's so much. Um, <laughs> the other thing from this part that I want to pull out is Avery is such a badass, like yeah. genuinely. And I think of the three Kenneteers, she probably was is the one that comes across the least badassy. But she puts up such a good showing <laughs> in this chapter. Yeah, like out of costume, she doesn't seem like she'd be the badass. But when they're in costume that night, like holy shit, like she's yeah, she's running around using her fucking Pegasus boots. Um, her hockey stick is a little disappointing because it kind of snaps a bit after the first go. Like she didn't reinforce the stick itself, but like it's still team rockets away. The first wave that it hits. Yeah. Um, like, it does a real yeah, yeet on a wave. Yeah. Like it's fucking amazing. She, yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, Avery, you fucking rock. And, and I mean, you know, so Lucy and Verona try to tell her this next chapter as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the performers finalize their prep and, uh, the ritual begins. Yes, uh, and I just want to read out this this quote from um, as they sort of finish up their preparation, or sorry, as they sort of start up the preparations where um, with hand signals, Wink pointed at herself, then slowly went clockwise around the group, pointing at each person in turn. Gabe nodded, people nodded, even the sobbing woman with the two kids behind her. Gabe felt Tattoo's hand pat his shoulder. He'd never thought he'd be so gratified to get that kind of support from someone so different from him. Mm. And so it's like, you know, this ritual, it's obviously not like, you know, happy fun time, party time. But this is a weirdly nice little moment in the middle of it, of Gabe connecting with someone he otherwise wouldn't have. Like, I yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. Like, it, it, at, the, at the same time, it sort of shows how isolated these people are that, um, you know, Gabe is connecting to to someone who's so different to him like you know in the middle of this traumatic event but it's kind of nice it's bringing them together a bit yeah i I don't know i mean you know gabe and tattoos together until the end and then probably beyond it as well (laughs) yeah for a long time from the looks of it yeah um yeah i don't know and again if we're if we're tying this if if this whole gabe descent thing is meant to be a bit of a metaphor for the kenneteers it's like oh you know they're they're connecting and they're having a good time right now, but it's all for naught because they're going to die together soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reconnect like, ah, oh, the positives to the ritual of connecting them. But then again, these two characters are both dead by the end of this chapter. So <laughs> I don't know if we can be too, uh, you know, give props too much to the Hungry Choir. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It was just an interesting moment to me because it really stands out for just kind of how I was like, ah. Which, you know, was not, <laughs> not a sentiment I was thinking too much in the rest of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, the ritual starts and it's obviously just as creepy as we knew it was going to be. Um, it, I mean, it gets worse, obviously, as the ritual goes on, but it starts out pretty heckin' creepy already. 
Uh, I, there was some someone on Reddit posted the full lyrics to the song that they had compiled from the chapter, and it's messed up. Like, of course. Oh, I didn't see that. I need to go find that because I, I pulled out this one line of connected stuff that various people sing in close proximity, where mm. it says, "Um, how shall we cut it if we have no knife with our teeth and with our nails digging in and singing out?" And it was just like when you put that sentence together, I was like, oh, "Jesus Christ, why did you sign up for this game?" Like, he he weren't these lyrics. He he. Yeah, he, he knew. Read this yeah, with his two human eyes. It's not like said, this. Is, yeah, I'm up for this. <laughs> it's very descriptive to what goes on during the ritual. <laughs> Yeah, the song is way more literal than you might expect. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. He thought it was metaphor, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I just, I, I love the other verse so much. Like, <laughs> that, that whole yeah. idea of like, oh, it's probably not that literal. It's like, no, it is. Yeah, it 100% is. Um, so, yes, this ritual brings in a bull and the goal of the session becomes clear. They need to sing the song while subduing the bull enough to eat a part of it before the song is over. If you miss a word or fuck up, you'll get bit. If you make a mistake, you'll get gored by the bull. It's, uh, it's tough. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's so punishing. Like, you know, we, we've talked a bit in, in other places in the story about how there's, you know, like someone like Charles. Like, you tell one minor lie and Charles is condemned for eternity. And um, there's a bit of that here. Like, you, you know, there's one bit where Gabe misses a beat in his song where he's meant to sing it with everyone else and he sings it like half a half a step behind and you know i think he gets like half his foot eaten off or something like it's who thought this was a good idea it's pretty punishing isn't it um but on the plus side putting gabe aside for a second wink (laughs) does so well so she takes the leadership role at the end of this she's finished her fifth night and she's taken some damage yes but she's isn't sorry isn't it her sixth night that she's is it sixth maybe it is yeah um but she's like in with a pretty good shot. I'm kind of rooting for Wink to win. I don't know. We'll we'll see based on how 2.1, yeah. how, how R2 <laughs> continues, we'll see. But I feel like she's in with a shot. 2.1 recontextualizes what winning means a little bit. Yes. Absolutely. But um, yeah, I, like, I agree. There's this sense of she, um, like, yeah, I, I think she's done six at the end of this one. And um, as she brings up in 2.1, uh, her seventh night's probably going to be a bit of a gimme considering yeah. it's going to be against um, like the footless, footless woman, lady. Yeah. So it's like up to her and her eighth night. It's a shame she couldn't keep chumps like Gabe around to, you know, fill out the numbers for her eighth night. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they continue to fight the bull and it honestly it goes okay. Like could go better because they lose a few performers that tattoos gets gored, but it could also go much, much worse. And yeah. it does by the end of the chapter. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you could do a lot worse than this. Uh, like, I mean, I love, like, Avery obviously helps. She comes in and fucking, like, sticks her blade cape into its horn to swing up onto it. Um, like, the imagery of all this is just so fucking cool. Like, that's such a great inversion of, like, the whole matador imagery mm. that she's sort of pulling off there. Like, it's... I mean, yeah, this this chapter is so fucking insane. I love it. When when are we getting the visual adaptation? Is my question. <laughs> I don't want the visual adaptation. What are you talking about? <laughs> I want it to exist so that I may never watch yeah, it. Yes, so I can skip episode one dot z of it. Um, yeah. So basically, as as the ritual goes on, Gabe starts slipping up more and more, and it continues to get worse. And I don't know when it is. Gabe has this realization and you as the audience have this realization of thinking like, 
even if Gabe survives tonight, he's taken enough bites that he's going to be so heavily injured and it's just, there's no way he's going to survive eight nights of this. It's it's literally impossible. Um, and even if he does survive, you know, he had body image issues before and now he's got at least a fucked up foot, elbow, stomach and ribs, right? I get the impression that you get all your injuries undone if you beat the eighth night. Mm, interesting. So I think that's okay. Okay, never mind. I take it back. Gabe, you got this. Just because, like, you know, one of the winners is a model now, and yes, I can't imagine true. any of the people we're seeing having yeah, enough having enough parts of their left. body to be yeah. a model after eight nights. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, there's actually a few times explicitly where Gabe is like, wait, I have to do this seven more times. I don't think I can do that. Mm. Mm, yeah i reckon it's uh I just, it's rough um i just sorry again which is the imagery of these people running around a fucking ball trying to scrape bits of it off <laughs> with their nails while also they're singing like this it's this it's nonsense <laughs> it's genuinely it's so good. crazy yeah like this is just from the from the you know concept to the execution this chapter is a fucking masterpiece we also learn what the prize is here and like okay it's an appealing enough prize. Like, it's fine. You know, the prize is, you know, y- what you eat basically doesn't impact your body. So you-, you can eat as much as you want. You won't get fat or thin. And, you know, if you're a drug user, you can not be at risk of, like, fucking up your body permanently by doing drugs or overdosing or whatever, right? And, like, okay, cool. Good prize, yes. Uh, uh, objectively, a good prize. But it's not good enough to justify (laughs) this right like if someone offered me this prize i'd kind of be like yeah that's pretty great and it's not like i would kill or die for that prize and i know maybe it's just because i'm not like i don't have severe enough body image issues to to give me an eating disorder which we don't explicitly learn gabe has but it seems thematically like he would have one or at least be developing one yeah, if he doesn't have one now, I could definitely see him being on the path to getting one. Absolutely. Um, but even so, it's like, I don't know. And actually, here's the other thing about it, is the prize is explicitly a monkey's paw because it's like it will only make their problem worse. Like it's a kind of solution that an ad- a drug addict would come up with, right? Oh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, I could still do all the drugs I wanted, but it just didn't fuck me up. And it's like, well, no, that that won't solve the underlying problem. That will just mitigate the symptoms of this toxic relationship that you have, right? Like, and explicitly, as long as you continuously spend your money on indulgences, particularly food, you keep getting more money. And so, like, the hungry choir, even after you win, has its hooks into you where you are you can't get away from your relationship with this food or drug or whatever it is. Yeah, that's the really subtle point that I missed until you started to bring this up was Gabe mentions like the two of the five. So there, there were five winners that he sort of know, knows of the two that have found success. It's because they make sure they spend the power and the goodwill on like their indulgences, which are things that don't matter to them anymore. It's like, you know, oh, oh you have unlimited money, but you have to spend it all on food. And also, like, you don't really need or want food anymore. Yeah, it's kind of... So, like... Yeah. Like, yeah, like, monkey, monkey's paw is a great term for it because it's, like, you've, you've you know... Okay, to, to bring it back to my whole consequences, justice thing, you can now eat or consume or whatever without consequences. But as a part of that, you also lose, like, the 
the part that matters like the, mm. the you know the fact well just the fact that it does matter like yes you, you now have unlimited food but it doesn't mean anything to you yeah it's very much a monkey's paw right and it almost feels like even if you win you're going to be like praying at the altar of the hungry hungry choir for the rest of your life right yeah well because you're going to feel the need to try and keep this power because you spent so fucking much on it exactly um so even in winning you're still you know indebted to the hungry choir forever yeah yeah i mean it certainly seems like you're not free of it it's a real lose-lose i guess (laughs) yeah yeah i think i think it's a prize that is not actually as appealing when you think on it than than it otherwise might be um and like i'm just tying this whole idea of stuff to to verona a bit like you know this whole idea of oh you get unlimited food but you lose the attachment to what actually makes food like you know the good parts as well as the bad like you know verona's trying to get rid of some of her humanity i would describe the need to eat as like a part of humanity right so it's like yep definitely you know you got to get rid of the good and the bad and that's probably going to be like the conflict verona hits when she starts trying to go down this othery path perhaps yeah um yeah there's no you know taking just the good bits of this prize and leaving behind the terrible bits it's all a, a insidious toxic package yeah and i i, I wouldn't be surprised if verona is going to start to find out there's actually parts of humanity that yes are actually very important to her say yeah. her relationship with lucy Who or something thought? and yeah no. <laughs> and uh you know it's going to kind of be it's not going to be like you know have your cake and eat it too yeah um it's it's going to be you know the whole kitten caboodle yeah, for sure. So uh, the Kennetiers decide to get a lot more involved here, uh, cutting up parts of the bull in order to help feed those who haven't yet been able to eat. Yeah. Um, and so I've got a quote here in our notes, and I won't read the whole thing, um, <laughs> but it, it's it's basically the part where it's from 1.2, and it's from the Awakening Ritual, which is where the Kennetiers basically say they won't hurt the others in town. mm so they sort of say, you know, we'll make sure your needs are managed um, and, you know, as a collective and we won't have any interest in taking over or enslaving you unless you do unjust harm to others. Yes. So I'm just thinking, like, I think, you know, the Hungry Choir would, assuming it's capable of arguing, be able to argue that they started it, for want of a mm. more mature phrase. Um, and I don't like it's going to come down to whether or not you classify the ritual as unjust harm to yeah. others. Yeah. I mean, which, I would. I don't know if the hungry choir I, would. Yeah, I mean that's the thing I would, but if if the hungry choir is something that has been like born into existence to do this thing. Mm. Like you know, I I think there was a quote around the Carmine Beast of of you know with such big things you can't think of them as like just or fair or something like it just is and that's kind of what I feel like with the Hungry Choir like I think I don't agree with it but the Hungry Choir would be able to make this claim of like well that's who I am it's what I have to do it's it's fair because that's what I am mm. yeah um, so yeah I I don't know I'm I'm interested to see how the confrontation between them and the Hungry Choir evolves because. To me, it kind of seems like by, you know, doing the first faux pas, they might have made themselves a bit vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. Although having said that, you know, as soon as they showed up, they were attacked by waifs. So it is kind of a, I don't know, it's blurry enough, right? I mean, not really, because the waifs only attack them when they have like forbidden things, which is all part of the rules. And like, I think all of the, 
all of the others specifically told them like that that sort of thing might happen so yeah i i, I don't know i I, yeah. I worry that i worry that in terms of like you know the wider council and the spirits and all that the hungry choir is actually going to have the moral high ground in this mm. situation mm. which is fucking stupid but that's <laughs> where we are yeah we'll see um i do like that the kennedys get more involved there's this bit where uh, i think it's lucy who talks about how uh, this footless woman has used diplomacy not, instead of her fingernails to earn her food, which is like she answered questions and therefore earned help getting food, which is nice, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think the hungry choir waifs are like growling at them as they give her food and they're like, no, it says in the rules you can use diplomacy to get your food. And uh, Good trick. that's what she did. Yeah. She she did it with us. Like it doesn't specify it has to be with other participants or whatever. Yep. Um, I mean... it. There's an implication there that Verona traded answers for the promise of giving her food, which, like, <laughs> you know, I'd like to know the exact way that conversation went down before I, because that could that could either be just like a, you know, oh, of course we'll get you food, um, and hey, do you want to answer questions as well, or was it like, yeah, we'll get you food, but you answer our questions first. Yeah, like, I don't want to think that badly of Verona. No, yet, surely like, it wouldn't be that much. That's a possibility. It is, um, which is worrying um so of course we get to the, the the real kicker at the end gabe has his food and we think he's going to be okay at least for now but he gags seeing the footless woman eat this hairy bit of meat that she has given and that gag that sympathetic gag turns into a proper vom and he loses the meat and those nice beignets and then loses the ritual and loses his life <laughs> I mean, this fucking bit. Like, we already talked about how insane this chapter is, but, mm. like, the bit where he starts throwing up and I was like, oh, that's it. it. You know, vomiting was against the rules. Like, I just assumed that because of the anti-emetics and stuff. Yeah. And then, like, then it's sort of like no one helps him. And I was like, wait, there's still a chance. And then he bends down. I was like, oh, he has to fucking eat it still. Like, yeah. the vomiting is just to save you having to do it again. Yeah. Um, It's, I mean, the word horror-awesome was invented for situations <laughs> like this. Um. This is, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's insane. And especially because, you know, he didn't take the anti-emetics, I think. No. Like, he, he talks about, like, seeing some or he, di he didn't have a chance to get some. Mm. And uh, also, as you pointed out, he ate all that shit his mum baked for him, which probably yep. wasn't a great idea. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, uh, what a what a tragedy. <sighs> he has to go down and eat his own vomit. This book is so insane. I love it. It's terrible. It's, like... There's a bit, there's, there's, there, there was a part where I thought earlier on in this story that we weren't going to get to points like, like that this was going to be lighter and there wouldn't be horrifying things like this in here. And now that we're here, obviously I was so wrong and I realize in hindsight, like, obviously we're going to get to this point. It's a wild burst story. We're set in the other verse. Like, this is the kind of shit that happens. God, I loved it and hated it. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, as, as you said, it's a Wobbo story. It's another verse story. Like, we were going to get to this sort of place eventually. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's the end of the chapter. Uh. Ooh. Um, yeah. And, and so, like, I mean, immediately I was like, well, how are the Kennedys going to be coping with this? Yes. Um, and so we find out in 2.1, which opens with the trio kind of struggling to deal with the horror of what they saw last night. Yeah, we just sort of jump immediately into figuring out yeah. how, the, how they're feeling after, after last night. 
um like and like the opening line is lucy admitting that she doesn't know what to say yeah which just immediately is like okay so we're doing like the damage report uh at the start of this chapter um it's rough. I mean, it, the other detail it opens with is that, that none of them really ate that much. Yeah, I wonder um, why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think except for Verona, who had a, a poutine, which is like... Sure. I think it's like, oh, it was a small poutine, but like, I, I love poutines, but it's like that's a heavy meal. Like, yeah. <laughs> Verona, Verona just has a few moments early in this chapter where you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, but oh, like overall, the three of them are like... Say it, Elliot. I mean, I, I, yeah, I hate, I hate to say it, but they're lost for words. <gasps> Run the applause track. He's done it. He's <laughs> bloody done it. Um, yeah. I hate myself more than all of you hate me, believe me. Uh, so, <laughs> so let's start by, I think, what's interesting to take to focus on here, which is Verona's response, which is basically doubling down. Like, she basically thinks to herself, okay, you know, the only response is to try and arm myself and equip myself with more tools and knowledge so that when things like this happen again, I can better deal with them, which of course makes the assumption that like she's 100% committed to this life and there's no <laughs> other option other than just keep going with this situation, which obviously is what Verona thinks, but is not the case. It isn't it? I mean, I don't, after the I, awakening ritual, I, yeah. I think it kind of is to some degree. They have to still be in this world yes, for the rest of their lives. But I do think they can make some steps to actively avoid being oh, yeah. in situations like the ones they were in. Yeah, like don't go back to the fucking ritual would be a yes. good tip, I reckon. Yes. Um yeah, I, I think Verona's introduction in this chapter is actually kind of hilarious because Lucy and Avery, they they both have this opening dialogue of like, I you know, I don't know what to say. Like I feel I just, I can't even put it into words. I didn't know how to start talking to you guys. I'm so mm. disturbed by last night. Mm. And then Verona's just kind of like, yeah, so like, we've got to learn some more stuff, right? Like, what are we going to study next? Yeah. And it, it, it's it's like, because it, it's actually, as you said, like there's some logic behind it because she's sort of like, she wants to better prepare them for the future. Mm. So there's like this defensible position to have that opinion. But it came across to me as just sort of, callous oh it's definitely feel like even lucy in her head is like really oh i, I think she even really? says that no she says yeah. it yeah <laughs> which um, yeah i mean the other thing verona says a bit later when they ask her is she says that she's digesting what happened <laughs> which was just like come on verona, like crazy jesus that's terrible <laughs> that's horrible um yeah yeah so i guess to to dive into verona a bit more like uh, definitely at the start especially with those things we brought up i was a bit ready to write it off as like oh look at verona she's already not feeling things she's becoming you know an, an other a monster yeah. she 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 doesn't feel human things but yeah. um i i was taken back to that conversation she had with her dad or uh, afterwards where she was like she said something he was doing something and she said oh i don't care and she was like actually that's not true i do care and i don't want to care mm. And I think that's what's happening here. And especially later on with all the stuff like Lucy sees with her site that we'll get into. Yeah. I feel like Verona's response here is really, she is trying to make herself not care. Like not just, not just trying to make it seem like she doesn't care. Like she's not putting on some like, you know, brave persona. Yeah. She is literally sort of like not wanting to care. Mm. And she's trying to, she's trying to convince herself she doesn't as much as the others um it's it's not sort of just putting the feelings down it's trying to smother them mm. um yeah like it's i mean you know well, she, as you said she learned it by watching her dad kind <laughs> of. yeah 
and he's obviously a very well-adjusted and well-put-together person. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we get this really interesting moment between Lucy and Avery where Avery kind of blames herself for not being able to do more to save Gabe, which obviously is bullshit because yep. the time to save Gabe wasn't last night. Like, <laughs> by the time he wrote his name into the website, he was already going to die, basically, right? And Yeah, pretty much. So if you wanted to save Gabe, you had to do it before last night. And obviously this is on, on Avery, but um, it's just... There's just a number of layers why Avery blaming herself is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's like... She's got that thing. It's not survivor's guilt, but, mm. like, I don't know, hero's guilt. Mm. Um, like, she she did so much, but now she's just sort of like, oh, I could have done more. Um, I don't know if there's an actual term for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we already touched on the fact she fucking kicked ass at that yeah, night. Yeah, she like, did great. And... Yeah, as you sort of touched on, even if she saved Gabe that night, if Gabe made it through that night, that's still seven more nights he's got to do. Like, you know, is that really saving him, making him go through that seven more times? Mm. Um, so it, it's this whole thing where, like, I totally understand what Avery is feeling, but it's like, it's like I was kind of with Lucy, like, just wanting to shake her and be like, this is completely irrational. Like, you're being stupid. I get it, but, like, stop, you're being stupid. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm and, and then totally on team she, Lucy there. <laughs> yeah although like the, the whole conversation and, and interaction with lucy is kind of fascinating like um because obviously the two of them get into a bit of a like disagreement about how to handle this whole thing because lucy sort of tells us the story like she she was quite like this where whenever things went wrong or people were mean to her she kind of assumed it was her fault yeah and she was trying to understand what she did to to upset them and it's that sort of like you can see how mentally it's like, oh, well, if it was my fault, then I can fix it. Mm. And for whatever reason, after enough of this, she sort of lost that coping mechanism and has now kind of flipped it over and done a 180. And now she's just kind of like angry at other people for not handling their own shit all the time. Like mm. she's she's kind of perhaps even gone too far and done a complete 180. Like she has a few moments here where she's like, oh, you know, Gabe even threw up at the end. Like what a fucking idiot. And it's like, okay, like, that's probably not fair. Like you saw what he was going yeah. through. It, it's like she's, she's, yeah. There's this, there's this central disagreement uh, between her and Avery here about how much you should blame yourself versus how much you should blame others. But like, I, I think clearly the answer is you need to blame others. Capital O right? others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, don't, don't, don't blame the victims of monsters murdering them. Right. I feel like yeah, it's a fairly like, like, uncontroversial statement. Yeah, it's just like this argument was so great to read because there's this whole thing where they're, they're coming at it from completely opposite directions and I'm listening to both of them and I'm like, I get exactly where you're coming from, but like, it's so harsh and like, and, and you know, unfair as well. Like, there's just so much unfairness going around um, that is completely understandable. Yeah. Like, both of them have this completely opposite reaction and neither of them are particularly fair on, on certain angles. Mm. Yeah. And this moment where Avery pushes back against Lucy, pushes back a little too hard and offends Lucy by basically saying that she doesn't want to be like her, which is, I, I can see why Lucy would take offense to that. It's, it's kind of like tensions are running high in this scene but the trio deal with this complex number of tension quite well like they all reaffirm that they're best friends they let out this bit of stress and things kind of take that first half step back towards normality i guess yeah i mean like particularly that bit you mentioned like lucy kind of gets offended when avery's just like i don't want to be like you and there's that moment where lucy's like 
understandably hurt by that. Yeah. And she sort of quickly processes it, like like swallows it, and is like, okay, like you know, this this isn't. Yeah, this is nothing like, you know, yeah. it's a very adult reaction. Like, yeah. okay, in fact, actually, no, that's not true because half the adults I know in my life could fucking do this. <laughs> like, it's, I, I'm not 100% successful at, at doing stuff like this. Like, I was very impressed with Lucy just being able to be like, okay, like, you know, this isn't what she means. I, I get what's happening here. Like, we need to just be here for each other. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, And, yeah, Lucy, uh, Lucy's having a great chapter, obviously, because she also has this moment where she... Uh, kind of reflects on the way that Verona deals with stressful situations and reminisces on them. Yeah, I mean, this part's super interesting um, because, like, you know, we've seen bits of this from Verona's perspective and stuff, but, like, it's just as fascinating to learn about the Kennedys through each other's perspectives than it is through their own. Like, I think that's yeah. the really cool thing we're doing with three protagonists here is, and particularly two who have been best friends since they were, like, you know, five or four yeah. or whatever, is, like, learning yeah. how they're viewed by each other is almost just as useful for understanding who they are as seeing themselves from their own perspective. Yeah. Um, this this part kind of mirrors 1.8 where we saw how Verona treats and reacts to Lucy when Lucy's, you know, in pain. And we get the mirror of this from Lucy's perspective looking at Verona. And it's a great it's just great to explore these characters' heads through the perspective of their best friends. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um so we see Verona spiraling as the audience, obviously, uh, and Lucy has recognised a pattern for what Verona does as sometimes she just does things that she refers to as dumb. Um, yeah, so she she sort of establishes this pattern as, as what happens is Verona bottles everything up and, and will go quiet mm. uh, as things get worse and worse and then eventually it all sort of explodes out and she does something dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's a moment because you know we as the audience have just been in Verona's head of scene here. It's like, yeah, that's coming. Yeah. She's she's working on that right yeah. now. Yeah, and so I'm. It gives me hope that Lucy's like Lucy's guard is up to watch out for this, basically. Yeah, it's it's really good to know that Lucy. Like, we basically see Lucy have the thought process in this section of I should probably be keeping an eye on Verona because there's a chance mm. something dumb might be coming, um, which is like very good to see. Mm. Yeah. Um. And so actually something that's interesting here is we get further elaboration on Verona's dad and in an interesting subversion of what we might have expected, he's actually a huge piece of shit. (laughs) Um, No. Uh, Yeah, it's terrible. Like, I think we were kind of hedging our bets a bit last time we touched on him thinking about, okay, well, he's kind of doing some possibly accidentally emotionally manipulative stuff here and this just crosses the line into full-on emotional abuse, right? Like... There's, there's no redeeming, like I, I, I'm beyond the fact of, of seeing a redemption for him. Um, I get, yeah, I I think like I I almost started to feel like a bit of a Verona's dad apologist Mm. at times because I was trying to be like, you know, well, we are seeing it from Verona's perspective and we don't know how hard and and blah, blah, blah. And then like just hearing it from Lucy's thing, which is, you know, going to be biased because she's best friends to, to, you know, a lesser degree, but still it's just like he silent treats his daughter for three days or whatever for forgetting his birthday. Yep. Like, like grow the fuck up. That's Um, pretty bad. And, um, I think the other interesting detail that, that recontextualized things, not even in a positive way for him is like, to, to me is he, the divorce it was not that long ago. It seems like it was only a year or two. Um, so like the, the divorce seems to be fairly recent. And what that shows to me is like how quickly her dad has spiraled, mm. which is almost like, like, you know, if this was a slow degradation over years, I, like that seems like a much more, 
that, that's something that's much harder to bring yourself back out of whereas like you know if he, if he's you know if he was meant to be sort of a fully functional human adult before she left him and he spiraled this quickly it almost feels like you should be you know better equipped to realize what's happened mm. to you mm. um so like it almost just like you know the the fact that he spiraled so quickly made me even just think like oh you like can you not see how bad you've become or you know so he was either not that great to begin with mm. or like you know he's just he's lost it so far that i'm just kind of like oh we just need to get him away from verona <laughs> that was what we what we talked about before um yeah the last thing i want to touch on from the you know uh lucy's remembering of all this is uh lucy is in, ends up being the one who like clears this up a little bit like verona yeah. and her dad just aren't talking for ages and verona and her dad are in this like stubborn off where they they refuse to clean up this they refuse they to basically clean up this are refusing to made. apologize to each other right yeah well and verona's made this big mess and she's kind of refusing well, was to it, clean it up i don't know principle. if it was verona like i reread this because i had that read oh. too first i actually think it was her dad who smashed her art stuff oh that's interesting i hadn't thought of that yeah um yeah Either or way, like regardless. her dad smashed some of it and then she smashed the rest of it or something like that um yeah i don't think yeah. rona I mean, instigated that i either way it's kind of like lucy's the one who ends up sort of having to clean it up yes and, and you know like it's, it's probably worse if if verona's dad did it than her but it's kind of like either way what happened is there was this mess verona and her dad were being too stubborn to do anything about it lucy ends up cleaning it up and like yeah, I mean that like that. This this feels like foreshadowing. Like, this is something where it's just <laughs> Lucy like, cleaning okay, up Verona's so, messes. Yeah, put the put the um you know Lucy cleaning up Verona's big mess uh pin on the board for when we get there. Well, later the there's story, one later in this ch- like not well not explicitly, but there's one that kind of hints at it again later in this chapter, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because there's one bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's get to um, it. I want to touch on the part though, like that. This gave me more of a nuanced view of Verona, where I. Like I saw things like uh, her dancing, her reluct- her refusal to engage in this hobby, and I was kind of like, "Well, that's interesting, whatever, right?" Like that's a weird little thing. Um, but this recontextualizes that as she just doesn't want to engage in any hobbies or passions anymore because this one, her art, was tainted and ruined by her dad, and she thinks the others will, and and. that's why she's leaning so heavily into practitioning right because practitioning is something that is safe from her dad and so it's that's the outlet for all of her creativity and all of her passion like it's the only hobby that she's allowing herself to have except obviously the problem is it's not a hobby it's a lifestyle it's a dangerous lifestyle (laughs) and she's treating it like a hobby yeah i hadn't made that link but that's really like you're right because i had kind of written her off for a lot of arc one as like you know the lazy one who's yeah. relying on natural talent yeah. and it's not it's not that as much it's that she anything that she makes a hobby and that she wants to bring home will be like yeah tainted, tainted exactly by her dad and um like yeah you can totally see that this was the case with the dancing stuff probably yeah um yeah so yeah like yeah you're right like, i think that's i think that's a really important part to her character i'm glad you brought that up yeah um so the trio, you know, we, we jump out of reminiscing about Verona mode and the trio are heading back to school and they bump into Wink and they try to speak to her and get a bit more information on the HC. Yep. Um, r- really quick side note. Um, oh, wait, like, Elliot. Every... Oh, shit. I just realized I forgot to make a joke that I had thought of. Um, okay. Okay. Sorry. Right, go let's again. rewind. Sorry. We have to go all the way back to when Gabe turns into like when Gabe throws up the meat. 
because the, okay. the ending line right after all that happens the ending line of that should be a waif leans down to gabe and says welcome to the hc bitch <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Who do you think's going to get that? The people who listen to What You Say, which is the best podcast on the Diff Media Network. Yes. Yeah, if if you want to understand that joke, go listen to What You Say, because Ruben's right. It is the best show on the Doof Network. Um, Sorry, Um, let's jump back. They talk to, they find Wink, they talk to her, hoping to get more information on the HC. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really love the bit here where uh, Avery has this moment of like, you know, oh, I don't have a partner to cuddle me to, to help me through like this emotional turmoil, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everyone be terrified for me and who I'm going to try and get in a relationship with later in the story. Um, and then like Verona hugs her from behind and Avery's like, oh, it's not quite the same. But we get a beat where it's like a full minute later and Verona's still hugging her. And like that just that was just a really nice moment. Like you can tell the fact that Verona kept doing it anyway was probably actually very good for Avery. Like, as much as we're worried about Verona and, and the others mm. in this chapter, that was definitely a bit where I was like, yeah. oh, well, that's nice. I think consistently these three are, like, we we touch on ideas that, like, they're isolated from everyone outside their support network and all this kind of stuff, but the network that they have, the three of them, they are very, very good to each other. <laughs> like, that's the beacon yeah. of hope in this story, right? Yeah, it's right. Like, none of the conflict has gotten bad between them yet they've they've consistently been able to hold together very well yeah um should we also talk about this uh there was tattoo guy last chapter that gabe had written off as a bit of a druggie who just wanted to be able to get his drugs Mm. um by completing the ritual and uh reagan here completely recontextualizes him for us as perhaps maybe the first person who has a good reason for engaging in the ritual Mm. uh, that we know of Mm. which is he had like every allergy under the sun and he kept getting new ones yeah. and he was just like yeah like he had like a genuinely completely you know not in his control issue with so many types of food i was actually like okay this is this is the first person who i've been like yeah. this ritual may have actually been been like, the solution you needed you, could, you yeah. should consider signing up yeah. for yeah um like I, I don't know it was just it was so interesting to me the way we got a completely different viewpoint on him uh in this chapter than like you know gabe's kind of dismissive one well i mean that's the thing about wildbo stories right is every character even even the smallest ones have their own rich inner lives yeah and everyone has a reason for signing up for this stupid ritual although in reagan's case it does kind of seem to be my friend was doing it we thought it was like you know winnable yeah whoops um actually no so she does give that whole reason about her family yeah and the and the meds that she needs which is fair uh not i mean i don't know there's easier ways like she could literally join a fight club and get the money for her meds more easily (laughs) than this right like (laughs) yeah yeah um but i still believe in wink even if she doesn't believe in herself i believe in her yeah i mean as we said she's I'm pretty sure she's only got the two knights left. And one of them's going to be a write-off, yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah, so she just needs to kill everyone else, Well, yeah, we kind of find out the eighth knight is different, and it's not confirmed, but it seems like it's some kind of, you have to eat at least a part of the other contestants, not willingly given, maybe eat all of them, kill and eat them, I don't know. It's, It's heavily implied that you need to, like, kill and or eat the other contestants on the eighth night yeah. absolutely as in the, um, yeah they at least have to so the specific line that makes it insidious is wink says that if the footless woman wins wink can't so presumably 
the only way you can win on your eighth night is involves all the other participants dying. Yeah, yeah, and it, well, there's that whole thing because she had the guy who was like a brother to her. And he took her eye and he took bits from all the others. And that's like, we found out what the eighth night he actually had to do. And he gave up. Yeah. And like that, that to me is like the moment. Cause it's like, why would you give up? You go through yeah. Seven nights of this shit and then give up. Like he must've really fucking loved her. Like imagine carrying that guilt with you on top of all the rest of this bullshit of the hungry choir nights. Yeah. Like, um, you know, finding out that like it actually becomes like the hunger games on, on someone's eighth night. Like it's just, yeah. Mm. This ritual so insane. <laughs> yeah uh yeah it is yeah um anyway (laughs) um so the girls head back to school and they are stopped by mrs hardy as they enter her class and she kind of you know she she's questioning them and and this is our first actual look at mrs hardy when she's not you know hiding behind a tree (laughs) um but yeah she seems nice she seems like a good teacher she seems cool yeah yeah like yeah uh, she seems completely reasonable in in this whole situation yeah she's great um so i i want to call this out because this is an example of verona being so good at this classic like practitioner doublespeak right she just is like she's excellent at it yeah yeah kind of scarily good she's better than i would be that's for sure yeah um, I, I, and I mean, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit, but this is just like, it's very fun watching them try to navigate everyday conversations like this without the ability to lie. Like just being late for class and having to explain it is such a hilariously benign conversation that gets a hundred times harder yeah. when you can't lie. Yep. Um, and the, the, like, just like a good lie has an element of truth in it. She tells this good lie that has an element of truth in it enough that it kind of dis- disarms the situation completely. Yeah, what's well, a misdirection? Like that seems to be the key. Is you know t- taking the truth, but out of context, so that it seems more relevant. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Then we get this bit where uh, they all split up and go into groups, and Avery goes and sits on the spare desk, which broke my heart. That sucks. <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah, this was set up really well, and I still sort of missed it. Like, when it first happened, it was like, Verona and Lucy, you join this group. Avery, you join this group. And it was sort of like, you know, Avery's head hung, and I was like, oh, is she upset that she got split up from Verona and Lucy? And, you know, maybe she was, but it's like she gets told to go to the spare desk, which we just had pointed out to us used to be Gabe's yes, desk. which And it's just sucks. like, oh, yeah, fuck. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then, okay, I want to touch on this moment as well, because there's this bit where... Uh, Verona does this little magic to basically make it so that Mrs. Hardy doesn't check in with their parents because that will obviously fuck some things up. And Lucy notices this and kind of cautions her like, hey, remember Mrs. Hardy and Avery have a really strong relationship. Like, make sure you don't mess with that. And Verona's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I think it's this perfect example of Verona thinks of this cool idea and goes ahead and, and executes it without thinking through fully the ramifications of her actions. And I'm sure this one won't turn into anything. I'm sure it's fine. But I think it's this, it's showing us Verona kind of needs Lucy around to check her work, so to speak, like to make sure that (laughs) these other implications that she might not have thought of aren't going to manifest. And I just feel like what we saw earlier with the foreshadowing of like Lucy having to clean up Verona's messes, like I feel like there's going to be a point in the story where these three don't necessarily have each other around and this, the ways that they balance each other out are really going to become very relevant <laughs> uh yeah yeah i i think that's 
probably spot on. Um, I mean, the other thing that Lucy sort of decides here is that she is just going to let Verona take her time out and do her coping, and Lucy will just do Verona's part of the project for her. Yeah. Like, again, she's cleaning up her messes. Um, I feel like we're heating this beat too many times in the first chapter of an arc for it not to be something I want to keep my eye on um, as we move forward. Like, you know, but I was thinking of Verona or, you know, Project Verother. Yep, the um, official code being name. something yeah uh further down the line now i'm wondering if we're just going to hit that in this arc already mm. um so yeah we'll we'll see um the only other thing here is okay so the whole thing that's going on here is they're doing schoolwork which is this like little pretend united nations thing and I, again i'm kind of like okay how does this you know is this a clue i, I don't know why <laughs> i keep looking at this schoolwork as clues because there was the canadian federation homework last arc so I'm sticking with this being my weird chocolate thing where at the end of the story, I'm convinced all the homework will be incredibly relevant. Um, well, so, yeah. If Mrs. I, Hardy again, is their teacher, maybe she's having them redo <laughs> homework that's very relevant to specific magical things. Look, I, don't, don't, don't put your weird shit into my theory, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. Like, this, this might be nothing, but again, it was like this focus on like trading with other nations and stuff, which again fell fell into the Canada stuff. So, I, I still haven't managed to think about how this could be relevant to like the Carmine Beast's death or whatever. Mm. But like, I'm, I'm telling you, some sort of like constitutional trade stuff is 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 common. I, I don't know what that means, but it's common. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. I guess. um so yeah we cut ahead a little bit and the trio are in the school library researching the hungry choir and they're nice and safe and nothing's gonna go wrong they're at school (laughs) bad things can't happen at school i mean you you joke but like this this is after a section break like the first one we've had this chapter and the the new scene sort of opens and it's like they were in the school library and the temperature was perfect with a light breeze the sky was blue not a cloud it's just like the the whole first paragraph is just like everything's perfect everything's Don't worry all right about it. yeah feel safe and content it's fine and <laughs> it's a it worked on me the first time mm. through i was just like oh this is a nice like you know we're relaxing and we're gonna just like get some information it's a it's a research task like this is nice and then you know it obviously goes to shit quickly mm. yeah indeed it does um and we'll touch on that shortly yeah as a side note i love how the research they're sort of doing here is they look at like you know, rates of people living under the poverty line and having hunger. Like they're trying to understand more of the concept of the hungry choir in a really interesting way. Like, you know, if you think, okay, so like I watched the show Supernatural, Mm. right? And um, other shows as well where it's sort of like, you know, Supernatural case files, like the X-Files and that sort of thing. Research usually involves going and finding other cases with the same thing or you go and look up mythological creature x yeah and it's all quite like you know directly tied like you're just finding other examples of this same yeah. thing whereas like the kennedy's here it's kind of this next step where they're looking at patterns relating to society in general and like the ghost towns and stuff and it, it's just it just feels like this extra extra layer or extra step of of research that was like so cool to me and and just really shows off how cool this world is that yeah that's the sort of thing they're having to research to try and get their heads around the hungry choir yeah they can't just like google choir you know evil choir or whatever and find oh and according to this newspaper clip two years ago there was an evil choir in whatever right 
Yeah, actually, yeah, exactly. Like they're not just yeah. they're not going to find news clippings that just give them the clues they need. Exactly. There's actually, actually a level of context that they need to learn. Yeah, like that's just so cool. Um, <clears throat> and then of course the hungry choir attacks ish, um, and almost tricks Avery into joining the ritual, which is fucking bonkers. God, this came out of nowhere for me. Like, as I said, I was totally tricked into believing that this was just benign information gathering time. Um, so this caught me completely off guard and I was like, what the fuck is Lucy doing? What's happening? Oh my, oh my God. Like I had the same reaction as Avery. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It's like a full on, like, I don't know. I don't know whether the hungry choir have broken the rules that they set with the awakening here, but they've broken kind of the rules of the story in a really interesting way. Yeah. Like this is, this is a big escalation on anything except maybe the altercation with John when they first went to his house. But even that, like the story has operated with these two halves and the, the lives of these three has been split into halves. There's the parts where we're hanging out with our parents or our family or at school and that's normal kid stuff and that's sacred and that's over there. And then there's the part where we're practitioners and that's dangerous and wild and that's all the way over there. And and it's like they've been acting like because they're trying to keep these parts of their lives separate, the world of magic is just going to like respect that. But obviously that's not <laughs> true. And just because they're busy with their human lives, it doesn't mean that they're safe and this is the this is the beat that we're hitting here a, a further escalation of the of the theme from the first arc where we are learning how in over their head they are it's it's something that is pervasive and affects their entire lives not just when they're putting on their witches hats right yeah you're right because even the fact that they sort of had costumes that they're meant to get into practice effectively sets up this idea of oh well we're not in costume yeah exactly it doesn't right? count we're not in costume like it's not we're not on the clock you know <laughs> But yeah, but it's interesting because I, I I disagree on your point that they've sort of kept you know their civilian life separate from their magical mm. life because you know there were all that there was all that stuff in in late arc one where you know they were using their sight at school and yeah true Rona's drawing little diagrams so that there was there was maybe instead this sort of sense of okay this is our civilian life and we're going to use little bits of your magic to enhance it yeah. but but you, you can't, can't approach that. us that's like against the rules. Yeah, exactly. Like they they very much felt like they were safe and in control yeah. when they were in their civilian life, and that's a huge <sighs> thing that gets challenged by the yep. choir here. Uh, and I think it's good that it does because they are, again, being naive about how this world works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, on the plus side, we see Gabe here, and he seems like he's doing fine. He's survived <laughs> and he's at school. I don't know. People might have just, like, forgotten about him for some reason. That's fine. He lost weight. Yeah, he lost weight. He's looking good. Yeah. So it's all fine. Nothing um, to be concerned about. Yeah. I mean, it's, for Verona, it's probably like looking in, you know, the future. <laughs> um, Ooh, Gabe but, is a pale reflection of Verona. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, the, the power of this moment really landed for me because when Gabe shows up, they all have very visceral reactions. Yeah. And Lucy sort of yells. And the funny thing is she, she sort of yells in two parts. And the first one is specifically to Gabe. And then the second one's to the hungry choir. And that's what yeah. really made the emotion work for me is like, at first she's like, no, fuck you. Like you don't get to guilt us. We did what we could for you. And I, I was already thinking she was yelling at the hungry choir. So I was like, wait, what? Wait, you didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then, and then she, then she launches into like speaking to the hungry choir. And I was like, oh shit, she was talking to Gabe before. And that just yeah. like, it made it hit so much harder for me. Yeah. It's rough. Um, but yeah, so things have stepped up a level 
Hmm. Yeah, and uh, so Verona's idea and, and how to tackle it next is they're going to go and talk to the fairy, which... I'm um, sure that will be I fine. Mean, yeah. yeah, well, I'm excited for the fairy because I think they're the only ones we haven't really dealt yeah, with true. so far, right? I feel like, like we've got... We, we There's more for us to investigate with Alpi as well, who've seen fairy briefly. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're yeah, right, I, the I fairy's even more so. Yeah, I wouldn't say we've learned everything we have about Alpi, but like we've seen her after the Awakening ritual. I think the yes, fairy true. may be the only two we haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah, we had no, reference to them, like, and that's blunt it. Munch. Yeah, blunt munch sure. is not the only way. But like, I'm. Well, I was about to say I'm not expecting blunt munch to be a big deal, which obviously means blunt munch is the killer. He's now. the murderer. Yeah, you've solved it. <laughs> um, um, actually, yeah, speaking so, of the murderer, like they've yeah. kind of completely forgotten about this. Seems like the mission is just kill the hungry choir now. Yeah, we've definitely put that on the back burner, which again is leading into my conspiracy theory that this is all the plan. Yeah. Um, to to put them against the hungry choir and have them work to weaken it. Um, especially if we start to get help from the other others of Kennet in like strategizing how to take down the hungry choir, yeah. I'll be very suspicious. Um, we'll see. But but you're right. They they're definitely putting the murder on the back burner right now because um it's all about you know. I was going to say 1v1-ing, but it's 3v1-ing yeah. the Hungry Choir. Oh, no, 3v-infiniting. 3v, yeah, a lot. It's very hard to put a number on the it's Hungry Choir. It's 3v all the people that would have been out that night-ing. Is it? Oh, no, <laughs> that's just the witnesses. There are, I don't know how many wives. Yeah, there's the wives. Yeah. It, yeah, you can't put a number on it. Yeah. it. They're outnumbered, though. That's the problem. Well, I mean, they have John, so... No, uh, no, no, it's only four. Never mind. Sorry, <laughs> I was just doing the math. Um, Anyway, that's where the chapter ends with that ominous note. And we move on to uh, interview notes one, which is some notes that that go over basically what the group knows about the victim, the top suspects, Charles, John, and the HC, and just kind of sums up where we're at. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I think the big thing to talk about this for me is like how cool a way this is to sort of start an arc or, or, you know, just follow up the start of an arc. Because I definitely, like, for me... Ward was Wobbo's first story where I was like following live, but sometimes I would fall a couple of weeks behind or like, you know, s- yeah. take a break at the end of one arc. And then I come back in and I just, you know, character would be introduced and I'd be like, wait, who's this again? Um, so there were definitely times following Ward that I just got completely lost. And something like this would have been so fantastic. And mm. like Wobbo actually mentions in the comments under this post, like this was part of his original vision for the extra material is mm. he wanted to, you know, be able to do stuff like do these recaps. And like, I, I agree that I think for particularly people following along live or people who take breaks as they read, this might be one of the most like concretely useful additions to the format. Mm. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I have a bit of mixed reactions to it because I feel like for us, we're obviously diving so deeply into these <laughs> yeah. chapters that it's kind of like, well, obviously we kind of knew all this information already, but I do really love that it, it is there to support readers who read in much the same way I do when I'm not doing a podcast on a lot yes. of work, which is just kind of consume this thing. Yes. The, the two of us right now, we're probably not the target audience no. for this thing because eh, we're reading the story in a very abnormal way. So it's yeah. like, it, it, yeah, this is, this is, you know, and that, that's why I was talking about Ward before because I could have used this so much more in Ward. Whereas, like Matt and Scott probably would have been like, "Yeah, so this just told us stuff we already knew." And yeah. whereas I was, I would have been reading it and been like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that. Oh, I forgot that." Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like like I I think this is absolutely a great inclusion for the like for the wider audience. Um, yeah, and it does teach us a few new small details. Like it's not it's not completely void of anything new. Like uh, 
we learned that Charles was a summoner mm. as his practitioner type, which I don't think we knew before. And I, you know, doesn't really, I don't know what that means right now. Maybe, like, okay. Sort of- All right. I mean, it wouldn't be an episode without a wild theory. So here's one. Uh, okay. Whatever it was that infected. Wait, the thing that's inside Matthew, was that inside Edith at one point? Or am I misremembering yes. that? Okay. I was going to say that Charles summoned it, but I mean, maybe that's still true. <laughs> Charles summoning things probably works quite well with someone else who is a host. So that could be something. Yeah. I mean, it depends exactly what summoner means, um, but it, yeah. like it, it feels like an interesting extra detail. Um, I think the other big one is we like learned that Lucy actually borrowed John's real gun. Her gushing granny gun didn't work. Um, and like, that's, that seems like important to me because yeah, like most of 1.6 was basically dedicated to how fucked up Lucy was by John holding a gun to her head yes and then you know not two chapters later or so yeah about three chapters later she's actually like borrowing guns from him like that's that's pretty huge and sort of you know there's so much imagery tying lucy to to weaponry um yeah like that her taking a gun from him seems like a big deal i I don't know quite what it means but like yeah like there's no way that that's just you know not a thing yeah true Uh, yeah i'm like you i don't know what those tidbits mean but there could be stuff in them that is going to be very important so i guess that's nice um should we so during this week between this our last and this episode uh we uh we released pale predictor which is a, a kind of thing you can use to track to stake your claims on some wild predictions which is a very on theme for this podcast yeah um yeah but basically we were seeing so many great predictions and things like reddit comments in our discord and we wanted a way to track them all and and you know encourage you know the wider public to start you know locking in their answers so that in six months somebody who you know made a wacky play can can you know have textual evidence to be like no see i called this shit six months ago yeah um so yeah it will include a link in the show notes to this episode Mm -hmm. um to pale predictor so those of you who didn't see it on reddit can can start to get your predictions in as well um but yeah we we thought we might highlight as well each week some of the coolest ones that we get like or yeah what are some some interesting ones that grab our attention yeah one of mine i picked is a very galaxy brain prediction and one is one that i think actually is quite a good prediction um (laughs) i mean you know they're both i I picked i picked two galaxy brain ones but (laughs) that's that's fine (laughs) yeah um so the first one I want to pull out is Captain Rhino, who's making a prediction about who the murderer is. And out of left field, they predict that it's Avery's elder brother's girlfriend, uh, whose name I think is Laurie. Um, yes. So actually she's... Yes as in, that's her name, not as in... Not as in I confirmed, yes. Um, so <laughs> according to Captain Rhino, Laurie is actually a practitioner and the killer. Um, and here's the evidence. One, she's not close enough for it to be obvious, but close enough that it would be a shock to us as the reader and to Avery. Two, she was nice to Avery, and you always have to be aware of the nice ones because they'll probably backstab <laughs> you. And uh, that's it. That's all the evidence. But it's galaxy brain enough that I could see it. So um, I like that one, Captain Rhino. Good job. It's a very Veronica Mars answer. Yeah. Which, uh, for those of you who've seen that, will probably know what I mean. Um, I I picked out one um, by Horseshoe Crab that just blew my mind, um, who was trying to predict who is Miss. Like, that's one of the categories we have. Is, yeah letting people try and predict who slash what Miss is, I should say. Um, and Horseshoe Crab believes that Miss might be a badger. Yep. Because okay, sure. <laughs> the thing is, the more I read this, the more I was like, wow, this is actually like just galaxy brain, not stupid. Um, so there's, you know, suggestions that she might have 
put the girls uh, onto the idea of having the animal motifs for their masks. So, you know, she has, you know, this, this association with the animals maybe. Um, and then a missing face is actually a core element in ghost stories that contain shape-shifting badges, according to Horseshoe Crab. Huh. I haven't verified this information, so either this is just complete nonsense or, like, a galaxy brain connection. Okay. Um, and, and so then Horseshoe Crab thinks, like, animal spirits are perhaps particularly easy to bind or, you know, like, Miss said she was vulnerable to the Hungry Choir, which, you know, seems to summon animals mm. as part of the ritual. So, I mean, this is galaxy brain, but, like, it, it definitely is less nonsense than it first sounds from a badger. Sure. Yeah. I mean... It sounds wild, but I mean, stake your claim. I'm all for it. We'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, Horseshoe Crab is gonna. Sorry, Horseshoe Crab is gonna get a lot of fucking cred. Yeah, if, if this turns if out true. Yeah. Um, I pulled out another one that was talking about who Miss is. That was by Silrain, uh, and I really like this one. So we touched on the idea that Miss might be like an embodiment of people who have gone missing or something like that. Um, but Silrain. Uh, refines that by saying that Miss is possibly an embodiment out of people that you glimpse out of the corner of your eye. Someone that you saw or see or hear that you mistake for someone you know or of a stranger at the edge of the forest, you know. Um, Miss is, uh, you know, an aggregated memory of when you see someone whose face is obscured, someone that you can't quite, someone that's on the tip of your tongue whether you've seen them before or not. So, of course, her, her parts of her are always obscured because you can never quite make a definitive identification of her. Yeah, I like that one. Um, like that, that sort of ties into, you know, a bit of a recurring thing we've seen about this idea of her being like an embodiment of hiding or being something yes. that's lost Yeah, is something we're coming to. This is like an, a nice, like, you know, very believable spin mm. on that. Yeah, I like that um, theory. So we'll see. Just, just to go back to the badger thing a bit because I just Googled it while you were talking. Um, <laughs> Mujina are a Japanese type of badger that do actually have associations with like faceless ghosts in Japanese lore. So, so okay. I, I think that's what horseshoe crab was pulling from. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so the last theory I just wanted to highlight, uh, was in our miscellaneous category. So this is where you can put whatever wacky shit you've, you've thought up. Um, and nameless two one eight has predicted that John is Lucy's father. All right. There's no self-explanatory no elaboration yeah. on that. That's just that was John just is Lucy's father. Well, the thing I really like about this is we've touched on the idea of Lucy being tied to violence and weaponry, and like, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's inherited, maybe it's genetic. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yep, we'll see. Um, I love those predictions. So if you have predictions you want to uh, predict to stake your claim on, check out Pale Predictor in the link down below in the show yes. notes thing and with that said uh let's get into our discussion question yes last week so we had a discussion question last week which was which aspects of our protagonists are you the most worried about and we got all kinds of great answers here um actually i guess the first answer we should talk about is we got an answer from wabo from the man himself uh, obviously having a slightly different take as the author um and he was kind of refl- yeah because well because i don't think he can answer the question genuinely because he he more than anyone else, he has an idea of where those yes. protagonists are going. Yeah, so he kind of reflects on his nerves about having a trio of main characters and and kind of the the struggle that goes into balancing these, right? Having three interesting characters yeah. and having a story where, you know, when you read a new chapter and you see, oh, this is Avery, no one's, like, disappointed by that, right? Which is such an interesting concern. Yeah, yeah, because I think, like, it's natural that, 
most people are going to sort of have a favorite or one that yeah. they connect with the most. Yeah. But like, yeah, like it's definitely true that you want them all to be likable enough that, yeah, exactly. It's not like a, oh, like that character. Like I've definitely read other multi POV books and you open to a specific chapter and it's like, oh God, like, you know, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, you open a book, you, you open a chapter and you see it's a Frodo and Sam chapter. I'm already skimming through the page just to get to the next chapter. <laughs> um Harsh. So yeah, Frodo and Sam chapters in the third book are just the worst. Mm. Um, so yeah, like like I, I can see that being like a cause for nervousness. I definitely think that Wobbo's succeeding so far. I'm I'm fascinated by all three well, of the Kennedys. Something interesting I saw in a reply to this comment was somebody linking a previous Reddit post, which was a poll of just like who's your favorite so far, and the results yeah. were pretty evenly split. It was thirty eight percent Verona, thirty two percent Avery, thirty percent Lucy. So Verona seems to have more stands out there than than most. I'm an Avery stan, obviously, um, but pretty even split across the board. Yeah, like that that doesn't surprise me because that's actually like yeah, very close. And I think a huge part of that and and why it's working is, or, or specifically to talk about like not being disappointed. I think each of the three Kennedys brings such a different angle to what's going on that yeah. i'm always excited because it, that kind of gives me a hint about how we're going to engage with whatever like you know we just learned that we're going to go tackle the the fairy next chapter right yeah. so then if it's like if if it's lucy again i'm going to be expecting to you know deal with that in a certain way that might be more mission focused or you know involve an attack or something if it's verona we're going to probably learn more about like the fairy and what what makes them inhuman or something yeah um if it's avery it's going to be like hitting on the fairy or something i mean you know it's a simplification but um <laughs> hitting yeah, like, on the fairy that's harsh <laughs> Yeah, like I think I think the thing that makes me excited for all three is like they all are bringing something yes. to to it, and it's not different just, lenses, you know, different walking yeah. another ten meters in Mordor for the chapter. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, who would want to read that? Um, yeah, not me. So that was an interesting <laughs> response. Um, we got one from Brawl ninety seven who said they were most worried about Lucy uh, with the angle that they were taking, basically being that it seems like Lucy still hasn't really processed the trauma from John's house. And seeing how we go on with the interlude at the end of Lost for Words, it's fair to say that things are getting worse and worse. And Brawl thinks that Lucy is just going to kind of continue to bottle up more and more emotions. And then, I don't know, is worried about what's going to happen when that bottle breaks. Yeah, I, well, I think this is very fair. And this might even be my answer as well, because Lucy is someone who takes... Uh, like a bit of a responsibility for everyone like she obviously had this whole talk this chapter about how she just kind of gives up on people but she's this very mission focused person i think she does at her core want to help everyone she's just learned to tell them to fuck off if they're not going to let her help them yeah um and yeah like that has me concerned she's someone who's going to jump in and try to do her best and she's taking all this responsibility and not letting anyone support her Mm. um and that's concerning yeah yeah definitely um we got a response by Landis963, who cheats. Landis cheated and says everybody, they're worried about everyone. But that is cheating, but it's also, like, obviously correct, so <laughs> yeah. I'll allow it. Um, but specifically, Landis is worried because of what we've been talking about, this idea of the group is kind of dismissing or writing off their connections apart from each other, right? Um, and Landis kind of walks up to the line saying that there's something supernatural possibly going on, and I would take that a step further by wondering whether somebody is intentionally influencing their connections and making it so that they are only connected to each other and not the outside world in an appeal to 
kind of isolate them further. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, um, we also got a comment from Fairlax who, uh, you know, answers with Verona, mm. uh, talking about her, her, how her musings on not wanting to be a human anymore kind of, you know, veer close towards being suicidal ideation, mm. which is definitely like a link I think that has some merit. Yeah. Um, especially combined with, as Fairlax mentions, her not taking enough care as a practitioner. Like it, it does seem like she's, you know, self-destructing a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think Verona is the one that's the most in your face to be worried about. And so it's <laughs> definitely fair for Fairlax to uh, to have that fear. Actually, we should talk about Fairlax is... Um, is the person who's been putting together the the uh like the summary sheet on Pale, which has like yes. all this great info in it. So if you go to this sheet, which we link in all our Reddit posts, I think do we link it in our description as well? I've forgotten. I now. think so. Yeah, like we, I think we've been linking to it in everything. Yeah, um, because it's like it's so good. It's not just an index of the chapters. Yeah. It's got links to our episodes, which yep. is very nice. It's got links to the audiobook chapters, which is convenient. And what I the the reason we really wanted to bring this up today is because I just discovered a few days ago there's a second tab which has like all the fan art that's being posted on the subreddit and, and other places. Yes, tagged and by I spoilers had- for when it like what it might potentially spoil it's yeah. it's great it's honestly so good yeah because especially as someone who's reading the chapters like late all the time for for this podcast i've been disconnected from a lot of that like because i don't i, I can't you know go and look and that's that's at, i can't go and look at that stuff as it's coming out so um like i you know lost myself in in this part of the spreadsheet when i discovered it so like you know felix is doing an absolutely fantastic job maintaining this spreadsheet and yeah. it's a real asset to the community yeah, definitely. Um, great work, Felix. Uh, back to our discussion question. We got a response from Zero uh, Zero Akila Zero Zero, who uh, lists Avery as the one they're most worried about, which is fair enough. Um, I think the the reason Akila gives is she feels like the weakest link in the kind of relationship dynamic, which obviously is this kind of anchoring yeah. force for the three of them. So the fact that Avery is possibly the most disconnected from that is a you know, a weak point. Um, and, and also I think Avery feels the most vulnerable to like manipulation and deception out of the three of them. <laughs> Absolutely. She's basically walking around with a sign above her head. That's like, I'm lonely. Please date me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's obviously an attack vector that is quite worrying. Yep. Um, and we got one other answer that I really wanted to pull out was an answer we got from Moonwolf 727, who says that they're worried for Verona's dad. Specifically, that Verona won't be able to get away from him, which is a great bait. And when I was reading through this uh, this response, I was like, uh, "What? Oh, oh, yeah, nope, yep, cool, good job, yeah, you got me." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, same. Yeah. The, the more we learn about Verona's dad, the more I'm just like, I fucking hate this guy yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I tallied up our responses, and Verona and Avery tied with the people being most worried about them, which means that Lucy is. Safe. She's in the clear. We don't have to worry about Lucy anymore. Thank God. God, I hope Wobbo isn't listening to this. You may as well have just challenged him. It's yeah. all been like, nothing can happen to Lucy Yeah, now. Lucy's 100% safe, and that's a fact. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that everyone had very different reasons for being worried about every single one of the Kenneteers, which is great. Yeah, I think that's why I thought this would be a fun discussion question, because there's so much to be worried about for yeah, each of them. exactly. Um, should we touch and on... So, yeah, so yeah. So with all that said, um, we've got our discussion question for next week, which is um, 
how can the Kenneteers beat the Hungry Choir? Mm, time to um, get out your Hungry Choir strategy guides, check the website. What's the? How are they going to do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, because, I mean, you know, winning the ritual and getting power from it, that's an option. It's not a good one. Um, well, I but, don't even think, like, we touched on the idea that winning basically sets you up as, like, a, a disciple of it almost. Um, so I don't even think that is yeah. going to... Like, I'm sure that will help depower it, but I don't even think that's enough. Like, Yeah, but no, definitely, like, it, it, there's been conversations about how you can't just go and stab it. Like, this is something you have to yeah. beat. What, kill every single level. wave? <laughs> um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated to hear what everyone else thinks might be some of the strategies that could work. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you can leave your responses to that in our discussion thread, which will be linked down in the show notes down below. Uh, leave us your comments on the chapter in general or if you're checking out links in our show notes check out that uh that pale like amalgamation sheet that we mentioned that fail has put together because it's awesome yes absolutely um we're also on twitter uh, mm. at mediumd podcast that's where you can see my live reads yep. and also you know where we announce that the episodes have come out and whatnot yep. um there is actually a bonus episode of power reflections coming out in a few days yes um but we don't have an exact time on that yet, so the best place to Ooh, stay on top of that would be to follow us on Twitter. Yeah. There's no way to know what phase of the moon it shall fall with. So stay <laughs> tuned. Follow our Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, for, for less spooky stuff, you can check out doofmedia.com as well. Yeah. That's a very not spooky website it it source code matches up with what you see on the screen you can copy and paste into notepad fine no problems there (laughs) i've tried um yeah that's got all the links to all the other great shows on the doof media network like "Mm, what you say which you should watch if you didn't get our joke earlier because it's a great show and i love it yes same um and you know wildbo is an author who you know his power is sustained through the ritual Mm -hmm. of patrons giving him money to write uh, so if you want to support a ritual that is, you know, less horrifying than the Hungry Choir, because it, well, I mean, it generated a Hungry Choir in a way. So, so yeah, so it's more horrifying. It's the Hungry Choir and then horrifying. other things as well. But it's very fun. So please head on over to patreon.com forward slash Wildbow, throw Wildbow some cash if you can, and he'll keep inventing other terrifying rituals and others and whatnot. Yep. Uh, while you're on Patreon, why not check out the Doof Patreon, Patreon because it is... Obviously, Doof Media is a network that is entirely supported by its patrons, and so you should be one of them. You get access to all kinds of cool perks based on the amount that you donate per month, so do it and get good rewards. Yes, I think there's a Doof and Chill coming up soon, I believe, with uh, Matthias and Clarence, uh, you know, just a bit of a meet the new, uh, the new boys hosts. running Decomposing yeah. Worm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Matthias has already been host of other Doof yes. podcasts, but yeah. Actually, did was there ever a uh, interview with them? It's kind of been a tradition that when a new host or hosts join the network, there's like a doof and chill that's just like a tradition where they sit down with Matt and Scott and just like answer questions and chit chat and stuff. I don't. Did Matthias and Jarvis do one when do the right thing? I I, I don't, don't remember that's now. Too long ago. That's too. Yeah, that was ago. years you can't ago. Ask me yeah. questions about things that happened more than two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's unfair. You're right. Fair enough. Um. Anyway, go back us on Patreon if you want more info on that. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and with all that said, we'll see you, uh, well, in a few days yep. for our bonus episode, Ooh. and then after that, um, to cover <laughs> presumably 2.2 and 2.3 of Stolen Away. Ah, uh, no, Elliot, 2.1 was the last chapter of Pale. It, it ends there. That's the end. Um, yeah, we'll see you all in a, in a week or less. Bye. Bye.